JudgeCast. This is episode number 73. With me as always, my two long-haired, beautiful co-hosts, Jess Tunks. Hey, Jess. Are you saying I have long hair? Yeah, you both do. You're it's lustrous. Yeah. Like a horse's mane. I, I, mean, I prefer luxurious. Sure. I mean, does B-Pril still have hair? Oh, yeah. It's a touch sensitive topic there, Jess. <laughs> sensitive topic. Blow the belt. All right, well, there's both my co-hosts. <laughs> okay. We have Jess and Brian, as always. They're great. I like them. We also have okay. a very special guest host on with us today. We have Level 4 Judge Jeff Morrow. Hey, guys. Hey, J-Mo. How's it going? Oh, it's great. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Oh, yeah. All right. Hey, Jeff, could you introduce yourself real briefly and um, you know, tell us who you are, where you're from? Sure. Uh, my name is Jeff Morrow, uh, also known as JMO. I'm a level four judge. I live in Oakland, California. Um, I'm in addition to being a judge, I'm a computer programmer and a game designer and, uh, and all sorts of other stuff guy too. I do too much. <laughs> a game designer. Yeah, it sounds like you're living the dream. Oh. Game designer. Yeah, you didn't know this. I. Nope. I uh, I do some game design work for Slugfest Games, who are the makers of the Red Dragon Inn. So there's a little plug for uh, <laughs> one, of my, one of my side projects there, too, here on JudgeCast. Good. Plug away. As long as we're making plugs, isn't there – there's an event coming up near you, isn't there? <laughs> is... Why, yes, there is. Just a miles <laughs> from my house. Grand Prix Oakland, brought to you by uh, Channel Fireball. Yes, uh, this is going to be Grand Prix Oakland. And this this episode will probably come out right before the Grand Prix. So if you're anywhere near Oakland, please come say hi. Just go fast. I'd be more than happy to say hi to you. Uh, JMO will also be there. So yep. it's going to be a blast. I, I am now looking up Red Dragon Inn Slugfest Games. <laughs> oh, Red Dragon Inn is great. I have not Thank played you. There is a something called Pookie, <laughs> which I think I'll have to get just based on the name. Well, <laughs> well there you go. Oh, it's got a bunny. It's got a bunny sitting in the. It's got a, it's got a psychotic re- bunny. I'm sold. I don't really need to even read anymore. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for being on, Jeff. I think that's everything you wanted to say. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. Uh, no, obviously we have more to talk to Jeff about, but hold, let's dive through our news real quick. First off, we have another level three. Every hey. episode, a new L three. This one is Brian. You're an L three. Why don't you say what this one? Is? I. Oh, I didn't get the pronunciation guide in the the packet that they gave me. Uh, so I'm gonna say Hightow Hightow Gia. Yeah, I think it's Gia. from China. Uh, he made uh, he made level three this past weekend. So congratulations, Hightow. Uh, uh, he's also uh, works with me on uh, one of the projects that I'm on. Uh, he's a really good guy. So congratulations. Yeah, we're super excited about having another L3 in China. I can imagine. Yes. Uh, still so how, how less many are there now? in Florida. <laughs> how many are there in China? Yeah, how many L3s are there in China? Just two. Wow. Just two? High so China. they've got that they've got that pretty well covered then, right? That's kind of a small area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on more, as you can imagine. <laughs> okay, the other bit of news is that the Magic Online Judge Open registration deadline is September 2nd. This is for the second event. This first event has already happened. I could have done better in it. And uh, so registration for that ends at September 7th, 2nd, excuse me. You can check so, the forms yeah. for a link to register. Right. So, so there was one there was one oddity about uh, the, the, the Magic Online Judge Open. Uh, the first event, the one that was this past weekend, was actually set up incorrectly. Uh, they were supposed to be phantom events, uh, as we talked about last last episode, I think. 
Um, this one was actually set up as a regular old, uh, uh, regular old sealed event. So the judges who were in it, uh, got to keep, uh, the packs. That was an error. Uh, Wizards, uh, Mike Turner came on and was like, oopsie, sorry. Uh, but he did clarify that this next one on September 8th will, will be a phantom draft, will be set, set up correctly. Yes. So please. Yeah, before we say anything else about that, if you're if you're immediately inclined to complain that one set of judges got a different thing than another set of judges, I'd just like to remind you this was a free event that was a thank you to our judge program by by Wizards of the Coast. So please stop complaining, <laughs> please. It's a, it's a little embarrassing. And then also, please don't register for the event and then not play in round one, either for the hopes that it isn't Phantom or because you didn't just listen to everything we said and learn that there's no reason not to do it. Because I spent the first round of this mojo staring at a blank screen, waiting for the player to time out because he thought it wasn't Phantom and he got lucky and got rewarded for it. So he gets his six free packs and I had to sit there and do nothing. And that was depressing. Yeah. Yeah. That, and and the, yeah, the, we said last time that that's why it's Phantom is because yeah. too many judges were were doing that last year. Well, that's what happens with free so, events, though. I mean, every time they try to do free events on MTGO, there's been that problem. People sure. try to abuse it or it's, it's just not fun. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. Same thing happened with, with Cube Draft when they should made that free. You couldn't get three rounds in. You, people would go, oh, my deck is bad, and they just drop. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the... Uh in the, the beta sometimes, and I'll do beta testing. The, the the beta beta, not the beta, the wide client beta. And I'll do testing, but no one will ever complete a game because they're like, oh, well, I'm losing, and this is all free, so who cares? And they just cancel. They just concede. Anyway, we're not here to talk about MTGO. We're here to talk about JMO, Jeff Morrow. Wow. Hey. That was weird, but okay. <laughs> That was Podcast Pros. Podcast Pros. CJ Trader, Podcast Pro. You've done 73 of these now? I mean, come on. No, we've done about 40-something. 40? Yeah. Yeah, we can just continue the numbering scheme from whoever the last hosts were. Whoever they were. Yeah, from Sean and Ricky and Jose, we just continued their numbering scheme. Although we've been pretty consistent with timing. We have definitely hit, on average, one every two weeks, I think. Well, usually it only changes when we uh there's an whenever there's a new set that comes yeah. out and and we need to we need to do an, oh, an episode a week early right. for for that yeah no we've done we've done very well cool anyway so jeff let's start from the beginning can okay. you tell a little, a little bit about how you became a judge or when that happened uh yeah this was this was back in worlds 2004 here uh, across the bay in san francisco so i was kind of stoked that you know worlds uh returned to san francisco last year that was fun for me um <clears throat> the uh I, I was hanging out at Worlds. Um, I actually, you know, did well in a Grand Prix trial, which is the best I've ever done in an actual Magic tournament. But uh, then the next day, I decided to be a, a walk-up candidate. They, they still did those at the time. You could walk up and, and you know, and, and put on a judge shirt and, and help out a little bit. And then at the end of the day, take a take a judge test. So... <clears throat> So I uh, I show up to to help out and they gave me a you know a, a judgling T-shirt that, that they had in, in <laughs> those days and they and they assigned me to um, uh, a Chinese well it was supposed to be a Chinese fourth edition Italian Legends sealed event and it turns out it was actually a Japanese uh, fourth edition Italian Legends. Um, but they had assigned as a staff for this event a a Chinese judge who I, I don't know who it was and I don't think that person's a judge anymore, unfortunately. 
because, like I said, we need more <laughs> L3s in China. But uh, it was a, a Chinese judge who they assigned to read the Chinese cards, but they were actually Japanese. Oh. oh. And, and level three judge Ricardo Tessitore, who fortunately held it all together. <laughs> uh, it was this uh, Chinese guy who couldn't read the cards he was assigned to be able to read. And Ricardo and me and one other judgling, Brian McKay, who, who was a judge here in the Bay Area for a while, and so they they threw us threw us to the lions at this fairly large tournament where most of the judge calls were judge what's this card <laughs> and that's and that's they, 2004 that's before smartphones and correct and, the tech yeah. we had the tech we had to solve this problem was a copy of the Magic the Gathering encyclopedia do you remember the printed book that had all the cards in it oh, yes. i do remember this yes that, i wasn't that, a judge but i remember that that was our tech for this tournament so i i didn't know i didn't know those sets very well because i only started playing around mercadian mast um, so, so most of the calls went something like this, judge, watch this card. I would pick it up and show it to the players around us going, Hey, anybody know the English name of this card? Somebody would say it and I would look it up in the encyclopedia and show it to the player. <laughs> that was, that was the vast majority of my judge calls that day. It was crazy. So after that, they assigned me to a, another, a, a team sealed event. I think it was. And then at the end of the day, uh, uh, I, I came up uh, to to John Carter, and and at the at the time, uh, the reason I wanted to be a judge was because um, uh, because of Saturday School, which was written by Carter at the time. And so, actually, meeting and getting tested for L one by the John Carter was like a, a big deal for me. It was like really cool. Is so, this a series of articles? I haven't even heard of it. That was on the uh, yeah, Saturday website, School wasn't it? Was, it was a it was a rules it was a weekly um, rules Q and A oh. uh, on the on the Watsi website. Uh, it was uh, Rune Horvick did it for a while, and then John Carter did it for a while. They don't do it anymore, sadly. But that was that that uh, rules geekery made me want to become a judge, and so to get get certified by you know Mr. Saturday School himself was kind of cool for me. Awesome, cool. So before we go a little further, I, I should mention why we even have Jeff on the show. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about, I, I suppose, the L3 process, but mostly it's just talk, talk to Jeff. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Nice. Jeff, well, here I am. What, what exactly whatever. is your your title? Like, you're just like the big wig in charge of advancing L3s, but I don't know what exactly they call you. Um, I mean, technically, my, my sphere is testing and promotion, although for the past year and a half, two years, I've, I've been pretty much solely focused on, on the L3 process, and that's... Uh, that's mainly because um, uh, once we, you know, did the redefinitions of L1 and L2 and and ad- adjusted the sort of standards for testing them, um, that process is sufficiently crowdsourced that it no longer really needs active management. Okay. Whereas the L3 process really kind of does. Right. So yeah, technically I'm testing and promotion, but but really I'm the guy in charge of L3 testing. So. How did you uh, how did you get to be the guy in charge of L3 testing? Like, um, were you already L4 when you got put in the charge of that or you made L4 to be in charge of that? So what happened was that at Pro Tour San Juan in 2010, um, four of us were were promoted to L4. uh, Me, Nick Sefton, Adam Shaw and and Jurgen Barrett. 
And um, what happened was at the time, um, the, the program, you know, Andy and, and the other high levels really wanted to uh, really wanted to emphasize the idea that uh, that L4 is about more than just events. Uh, well, L4 plus is about more than just events. It's about being in charge of some big area of the program. And so around the same time as, as we all got promoted, um, they did the, the Pillars and Spheres initiative, some of which some of which remains uh, to this to this day, um, some doesn't. But but essentially, even though the the formal structure is no longer there, uh, there there is still you know it, it succeeded in messaging to the judge program at large that that high level judges are are about more than just you know being in charge of the big events where we're we're doing some additional work um, outside of events. And so um, all the existing high levels, including the four of us new ones, uh, got got assigned, you know, some uh, some some area that, of work that needed to be done that seemed to be a logical fit for us. Mine, to be to be perfectly honest, I was a little bit surprised that that they wanted me in charge of testing, but um, I think it worked out. Right, I'd say so. So I guess you you mentioned that that two year you know about two years ago when they were doing the the level one redefinition and the the they did a level two kind of refactoring uh, a little bit later that but they were also did L three around that time so the level one redefinition was about acquisition uh, you know about getting getting more judges what was the the main focus reason behind the the level three redefinition like this this whole checklist thing came out of that what was what were, what were the goals of doing that um so one of one of the goals was like l one acquisition um uh there were there was this sort of widespread idea for l three we spent years um sort of conditioning conditioning judges uh that no, we'll tell you when you're ready. We'll tell you when you're ready. Don't ask. We'll tell you when you're ready. Leave us alone. We'll tell you when you're ready. Right. Right. And that led to uh, that led to a situation where where some of the best qualified candidates were, you know, not moving. We're, we're waiting for us to say something. Right. And and as a result, acquisition was was lower than we would have liked. Um uh, and so one of the big sort of philosophical changes we made to the process was we don't tell you when you're ready. You tell us when you're ready. And that's that's what the that's what the checklist is. When you've done this and this and this and this and all of these things, you are ready to test. Right. You are you are ready to to have your shot at at that level. So acquisition was definitely one of the uh, one of the goals. Um, another big goal was. Um, the the real impetus behind all of this was the pro tour was changing dramatically. So so back in back in my day back in my day um uh all sort of sound like Beepro yeah oh easy joke I, think I'm a, I might be older than JMO that's oh oh okay let's throw down how old are you Beepro I'm almost thirty seven. <gasps> I'm 39. Threw up in my oh, mouth a little. You I'll look be, younger, though. I'll be 40 at the end of this year. Oh. Yeah. Yes! Not the oldest on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's the real reason why we had you on. So <laughs> I oh, okay. Be, well, I'm I glad could I could be, help. I could be a youngin'. So back um, in your day. Sorry to back, interrupt. Back in my day, um, all L3 testing was done at the Pro Tour. Well, Pro Tour and, and World sometimes as well. Because um, that was the time when we had... <clears throat> 
a whole bunch of L4 plus judges gathered in one place at the same time. And because uh, the Pro Tour and Worlds had extensive side events, depending on what uh, what city we were in, um, L2s would, would be on staff at Pro Tours. Pro Tour staffs would be bigger than they are today and, and would include some L2s. Um, the, you know, usually the promising ones that we thought might be candidates for L3, and some of them we would test there. So they scaled back the Pro Tour. There's no longer side events at any of them, uh, and they decided that, that they wanted only L3 pluses on staff. And so suddenly our, our main venue for testing people for level three went away. And so, uh, so one of the big goals of the L3 uh, rejiggering uh, was to have a process that could be implemented at Grand Prix. Um, so that meant, number one, making sure we had a, a fairly, you know, uh, nimble process that wouldn't take, you know, three judges off the floor for three or four hours. Um, so, so we needed to scale back on, on the, on the resource needs. And we also, you know, we also sort of had to sell the idea to TOs, right? Because remember, pro tours are run by Watsi, Grand Prix are run by individual TOs. Uh, and so, um, part of the, part of the process involved, you know, convincing TOs, Hey, this, this is actually really good for you long-term to have these people go off the floor for a couple hours and, and, and yeah, do this. Take some, take some of your best guys off the floor to not be running your event. Yeah, that's a right. good point. Exactly. I never knew where that would be. It's a, it's a, it, to be honest, it was occasionally a hard sell. Um, so that was, that was another reason for the rejiggering. And of course the third, the third thing was do all of this stuff and make all of these changes without significantly impacting the quality of the judges we get out the other end. So that was a kind of a long answer, but I think it covers all the salient points. Do you happen to know how many L3s existed before this process was in place? Um, I, uh, I want to say like... I want to say like 80, 85, something like that. Yeah, I just, because I, for another reason, I just happened to look up the number of L3s today and it's 105, so. Yep, so we've had, we've had some attrition in that time. Right, absolutely. Um, but about, uh, over, so on my watch, we've had over, over 40 judges uh, make L3. Wow. Um, in fact, in fact, Sean Doherty, uh, L3 from Delaware, um, keeps statistics on all the L3 judges and when they made L3. And it turns out, if you look at that list, almost half of the of the current level threes um, came up under the new process. So that's something I'm so kind of proud of. Do you know, do you know who the the first judge that went through the new process is or was? Well, sort of, I mean, so here's the thing. There isn't a clear, there isn't a clear demarcation line. Um, uh, we sort of used a, an early beta of this process at, um, at Pro Tour Philadelphia, um, back in, uh, oh, what was it? Late, oh, that's, that's late. the one where like Dan Stevens, Ben McDowell, those guys, right? Yes. Was that class was Briggs, McDowell, Cadenese, Stevens, Turner, Stapleton, and Strauss. So, so that was sort of the first class, but like I said, it was, you know, it was kind of a beta. It wasn't quite the process we have now. Okay. Um, do you feel that, uh, that I guess as far as meeting your goals, that the, that the process has been successful? Like, um, I, I guess like 
50 judges or 40 judges making L3, that seems good. So mostly, yes. There's a, there's a couple of, so a couple of things that I think are, are great successes are number one, um, L2s now are, are way happier about the process now than they were before. Um, previously there was a, a fairly, you know, common belief that it was just kind of, you know, people had to like you and, and it wasn't what you know, it's who you know, and it's that sort of that sort of thing. And I, I feel like the um, I feel like L2s in general are a lot more satisfied, uh, you know, about the transparency of the process. And, and they, you know, they know how to get there rather than no, don't no, leave us alone. We'll tell you when you're ready. So that's that's a big success. Um, Do you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just uh, saying you, <laughs> you go ahead, please. Um, let's see. Uh trying to catch my train of thought here. <laughs> um, uh, another big success is we, we successfully, you know, we, we successfully made the transition to Grand Prix. We were, we were thrown a real curveball by the new structure of the Pro Tour, and I think we've rolled with it well. Um, acquisition has been okay. Um, it, the acquisition that we're doing now is on par with the sort of higher acquisition years in the uh, under the old system so that's been okay um one one issue that still needs some work is that uh we we haven't we still haven't done a very good job of of getting l3s to the places we really need them um this is why this is why i'm so excited about hightow passing um because because china is a high growth area we need more l3s and so that's that's great um we're the problem is that we're still running into the age-old problem that I'm sure you guys have seen and are aware of, which is that good judges beget more good judges. And and conversely, a place that doesn't have much of a judge program presence, it's really, really hard to bootstrap that community up from, from nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so it, does, it does seem in a lot of cases that there there's there are high constant or where there are L3s, there tend to be other L3s in that or close by. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, of just like, you know, one L3 out in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. Right. Because because judging is hard and getting good at it in a vacuum is really not common. Well, so speaking of getting good at it. The, the, you mentioned that the two things that you wanted to, the first two things you wanted to accomplish, acquisition and changing from the Pro Tour to the GP level for testing, were, were pretty much successful. Yep. How do you feel about the change in the L3, in quality of the L3s that we're getting? Is there no change? Is that, are they better now than they were previously at the end of this pipeline? Or are they, are they not as good? Or is there just a perception that they're not as good because there are more of them that are just, just now L3s? Um, there are. So, so acquisition has been strong enough that there are always going to be um, complaints about, right? That there's, there's this, there's this mindset among some judges that there's only, you know, there's only a certain number of, of there can only be a really, you know, small number of really good L3 quality guys, and and so the fact that we have a lot of acquisition must mean that we're lowering quality. Um, what I would what I would counter with is that um, quality. I I think quality is good. I I don't think anyone's come through the new process that makes me go, oh boy. So I think I think that's. Well, I mean, I I you forgot that I just made it through, right? Yeah, I think you forgot. Just, yeah, you forgot. You forgot. <laughs> Except April. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, so so there's um 
I think it depends on it depends on where you think quality was before. So on the one hand, um, there were some places in the world where uh, you know where where we would promote somebody because we really needed them, um, and and that doesn't happen as much anymore because everybody has to meet these you know the same standards. On the other hand, there are places in the world where where the standards had had inflated so high where where there was such incredible level creep that you know there, there were places in the world where they wouldn't even test you for level two until you were basically an l3 um so so yes compared to the inflated standards in some of those parts of the world yeah we probably lowered standards a bit but they were never meant to be that high Right. So so I, all of that, basically all of all of me spouting words is boiling down to, no, I think quality is still good. And and it's you know, and it's been my job to keep it that way. So you, you'd say that that you feel there's been no change in L3 quality between the old pipeline and the new one? I would I would say there's been no significant change. Yes. OK, so, that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, so um, so we have as the first part, the most visible part of how people get to BL3 is this checklist thing that's on the wiki that that lists, you know, being a head judge for five events, uh, getting getting recommendations uh, from L3s in your region, outside your region, uh, Eye of Newt, Toa Frog, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. How right. did all of those uh, requirements come about? So, so one of the first things uh, I did as you know, my as an L four with my new job, I put together a, a committee of people to discuss exactly this, and and uh, it was of course judges from all over the world because uh, you know I wanted to make sure that that any sort of differences in standards were kind of smoothed out. And we talked about what do we expect an L3 to have done? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the minimum requirements? Um, as it turns out, uh, we now, Brian, you know this, but uh, we have, in addition to the checklist, we have a list of things that we expect an L3 to do to, to maintain their L3-ness. And um, uh, it, it's basically the same, right? The lists are very similar. Uh, the stuff we expect you to do to qualify for level three is approximately the same as the stuff we expect you to do in, you know, roughly annually when you are a, a level three. So, so yeah, we, we talked and, you know, discussed and argued and hashed that all out. And the result was um, uh, the list of prerequisites that are, that are up on the wiki. Cool. So that that list of of things uh, now I, I've heard like comments from people. Some people feel that it's a lot. Some people feel that it's it's too little or too light. So how did you go about balancing those those concerns, or did you just end up converging on on a, a list that kind of everyone was like, yeah, that looks about right? Uh, it was it was mostly that. I mean, honestly, if if the if the upshot of of people's reactions are that some people think it's too hard and some people think it's too easy. It's probably just about right, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, some of the some of the design philosophies that went into it, though, included um, a remote candidate like you know, like Hightower in China has to be able to do this, right? So, so there's a handful of things that that you know we decided not to put on there because it would it would make it really hard for. Um, for international, you know, or or more specifically, remote candidates to do. 
Um, so that's, uh, that was one piece of it. Um, we, yeah, really, really, it just converged from discussions about what's the, what's the minimum amount, uh, of stuff we would expect to see from an L3. And, and like I said, arguments here and there, but, uh, eventually we converged. What kind of stuff was considered for the L3 checklist that didn't make it on? Um, honestly, I don't remember. Um, let me nunchuck, see. Nunchuck skills, bow skills. Um, there, there was actually a lot of, a lot of discussion around, uh, as you know, there's an English language learned. Um, there was a lot of discussion around exactly what that entails. Uh, you know, and again, we, we decided we couldn't make it too, um, stringent because then all the level threes would come from America and Europe, you know, and like, like Western Europe. Um, which is, you know, which is exactly where we're mostly doing all right on level threes, you know? So that was, that was one consideration. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm not thinking of others right now. This, uh, I, I can't come up with any, this was, um, this was about three years ago. So, you know, sorry. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. Um, so let's talk about something that's happened since then with checklisting. Uh, okay. and that's that word checklisting. Um, checklist. So, so since the L3 process, the new L3 process was unveiled, L2s have kind of gone from this idea of, well, I'm just going to be L2 until they tell me it's time for L3 to, right. oh, you just passed your L2 exam? When are you going to start checklisting? Right. And, and it's, it's, it's not this kind of, well, these are things that you should do if you're, if you're eventually going to be L3. It's become kind of this race to get it done. And yeah. there, there's uh, like a mentality that, that every L2 should be trying to get their, their checklist requirements done rather than just trying to be the best l2 judge they can be well i'm not going to speak to the should right because what what you're what you're doing as a judge and why you're doing it i mean honestly you know that doesn't doesn't concern me that much this so so some there there are many in the judge program who perceive checklisting you know this checklisting phenomenon as a big problem i am not one of them the reason is if somebody's just checklisting, they're not going to make it through. They're, they're not, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're probably going to fail on something like attitude and maturity. So if somebody gets to level two and, and they want to start working on, you know, checking off things like head judging the right number of events, fine, great, I, I'm all for that. The checklist happens to include BNL2 for a year and uh, write a self-review and, you know, and get it approved by the verification committee. So that's um, those two things are, are mainly there to to prevent people from just, uh, you know, um, getting to L2 and, and starting, uh, you know, trying to start the L3 process the next day. But um, to be perfectly honest, if someone starts working on their checklist the next day, I got no problem with that because either they're good and they'll they'll make it through or they're not and they won't. And and why um you know why someone is is doing these tasks we want them to do doesn't really, you know, d doesn't really bother me that much. If, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um so you Go ahead. Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to uh, say, so you mentioned, you mentioned, okay, so they're working on their checklist and they're completing their checklist, but they fail on attitude and maturity. Um, so there, there's also these other, and you mentioned the self-review. So there's, there are these characteristics of, uh, of a level three judge that you're kind of graded on es yes. essentially that, that are, that are part of this process as well. So in addition to the, uh, the actual physical, you know, 
I did, I had judged five events. I did this, I did this, I did this. There's also these, these list of, I think it's 12 characteristics, um, right. that, that you need to, to demonstrate competency in, uh, in addition to just, you know, checking boxes off of a, off of a checklist. Right. So as, as you guys know, cause I know you've been to the wiki page. So, so <laughs> by the way, this wiki page that we're talking about for, for the listeners out there who might not know, if you go to the judge wiki and you click on judge levels and you scroll down to level three, there's a, it, there's a small description there, but the real page is a, there's a link. Uh, in that section called the level three advancement process go there it tells you everything you need to know now you guys i know have all been to this page and so you know that the first thing on that page that takes up you know more than half of the page is a description of these 12 qualities of regional judges right that's what we care about the checklist that this is actually another reason why i don't really care much about about judges checklisting because fine they checklisted whatever the checklist is just what gets you in the door that's just the the you know preliminary requirements that that make us pay attention to you what we really care about and what the entire rest of the process is about is determining whether you're um, you know, competent and and performing at standard on these twelve qualities of regional judges: uh, leadership, presence, and charisma, mentorship, communication skills, attitude, maturity, blah 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 blah. Right? There's a there's a whole list of them, and that's what we actually care about. That's what we actually test you on. That's the list where if you don't have all of these characteristics, you are not going to be level three. I just want to mention we'll have a li- we'll have a link to that in the show notes, of course. Good. Good. Yeah. So so after so you so after you do your checklist and you 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 fill all your boxes and you submit it uh you get your you get your uh, uh recommendations um what what happens then uh after you submit your your checklist and you get the big thumbs up So what happens is uh when you when you give your checklist uh to to me and um your regional coordinator what happens is it goes off to the verification committee the verification committee is a group of uh, eight or ten or so judges um, who look at your application and and verify um, did this person actually uh, fulfill all the requirements the way they're supposed to and often the answer is yes sometimes the answer is no and we send them back and say hey we need this and this and this from you or something like that or or your reviews you know aren't up to par or something like that but um, frequently, uh, you know, a, a, an application is either accepted or given some fairly simple things to to get to acceptance. Um, once you're accepted, you know, we're we're going to panel you at some GP. So between the time when your application is accepted and your panel event, whatever that may be, um, we may we don't always, but we will frequently do what's called a pre-event interview. And in that, you are assigned to some L3 plus somewhere in the world who begins your panel um, over email. Who will start asking you questions about various judge and sometimes even non-judge topics. And and from that, uh, it's the pre-event interviewer's responsibility to to list the 12 qualities of regional judges and for each one say either yeah he's he or she is fine and you don't need to cover this quality or um, yeah you should you should cover this quality in the in-person interview so then in your uh, at your grand pre-event you will sit down with at least an l4 plus and an l3 plus 
um, sometimes sometimes more uh, people, depending. Uh, and and it's your it's the panel's job by the end of the interview to have a complete picture of you on all twelve of the qualities of regional judges. Uh, so whatever wasn't covered in the pre-event interview is covered here. Um, uh, and in each category, you are labeled either yep fine or uh, a minor deficiency or a major deficiency. If you have any major deficiencies, you will not be promoted. If you have three or more minor deficiencies, you will not be promoted. If you have uh, two or fewer minor deficiencies and that's all, congratulations, you're level three. <laughs> so let me just to, to, to kind of drive home this point or to clarify. So you've done your checklist. Yeah. You've submitted it. You've, you've got everything verified, okay, uh, from, from the checklist, which, are, which is objective. Uh, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Then you go into the pre-event interview, and then you go. You are going to panel, but there's the possibility that you're not going to, you know, the panel's going to find that you're lacking or deficient in, you know, one or more of these, uh, of these uh, characteristics. Right. So there's, there's really no guarantee of, hey, I got my checklist, I'm going to panel, and I'm going to get in. Right. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's a very real chance that it might not happen. Right. And we, uh, this is a, this is an area that we've made some, uh, some progress and some changes to, even in just the last six to twelve months. Um, if you, if you do fail your interview, um, you are, you are assigned to a, a team, uh, may, you know, put together by me and, and Jared Silva, who is in charge of this, uh, this part of the process now. And we put together what, what's called your supplemental activities. Um, these are, uh, usually between three and six, um, you know, activities, uh, that we, that we assign to you to, to basically help shore up your deficiencies. Uh, and we, we, the team usually includes me and Jared and the panel and the candidates are C and sometimes Andy and, and, you know, maybe one or two interested judges. And one thing we've been, we've been working on to, to make better in the process is to really turn this group into the get so-and-so to level three team, right? Um, one, one of the sort of aspects of the older process that we were trying to improve upon was typically back, uh, back in the day, um, if you, if you failed, that was kind of it. And, and see you later, you know, you were sent back to wherever it was you came from and maybe you'd get another chance in a year or two, depending on, uh, depending on how much the program needed you at L3, you know, needed someone from your area at level three. Um, and we're, we're trying to move away from that. We're trying to, to make it more like, you know, there's somebody in charge in this, you know, in this case, Jared, somebody in charge of making sure that the process is moving forward for any candidate who is assisting us in moving forward. Does that make sense? You know, you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Yes. I think I follow. Uh, basically, basically, if you're willing to keep putting in the work and you're willing to take the criticism and take the feedback and work on your deficiencies, we will eventually get you to level three. And that's that's a that's a philosophy we are trying to uh, to to build upon now. 
Okay. So, okay, so you, you okay, that's kind of, that's that's cool that you've got a, a support structure there to help you work on those things and you're not just kind of, uh, of cut loose, as it right. were, to kind of figure it out on your own. Um, what, uh, what can you tell us? Cause I know for a lot of people, the, the panel itself is shrouded in, in mystery. And I know that we're, uh, a lot of it, we're told not to talk about what goes on, uh, during the panel. What can you tell our listeners about what, what goes on on the, in the panels? Yeah, I can, I can tell you quite a bit about it, actually. It's not, it's not nearly as secretive as it was, you know, three, four years ago. Um, the, it's, it's like, it's, it's a lot like a really intense job interview or, or some people have, um, for, for those of you who are in academia, there are a lot of people who have, um, compared it to a a thesis defense. Um, as I said, the, the goal of the panel, by the end of the panel, it's our job to make sure we have a complete picture of you on all 12 of the qualities. And so that's what the, uh, that's what the panel is all about. It's a, it's a series of questions, um, uh, designed to, to poke at your brain on, on these, on these 12 qualities and try and figure, you know, to try and figure you out. Um, as, as you know, Brian, there are, there are often, but not always role plays involved, uh, you know, judging scenarios that come up, uh, that help us, that help us test, um, test certain skills that it is hard to test just by talking to someone. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, one and a half to three hour chat usually, uh, that, that covers a bunch of tough topics on the 12 qualities. And it's the type of, uh, it's the type of interview where we're going to challenge you. We're going to press you. We're going to, you know, we're going to maybe try and get you off balance a little bit. We, we're going to do all of those things because when you're in charge of a, you know, say a PTQ, players are going to kind of do that to you sometimes too. Right. And, and we need for our level threes to be the ones who can say, no, this is the right way. This is how we're going forward. And so that's really, um, that's really what the panel is all about. Uh, I encourage any of you actually who want to know more about the panel, Rob McKenzie, one of our newest L3s, just wrote a blog post um, about, about the L3 process and the, and the panel interview in particular. And, and he, he didn't say, you know, he didn't say anything that, that is secret. He didn't say anything that I don't want people talking about. I think it's a great article, actually, and I would encourage everybody to go and read it, uh, to find out, to find out more about the, the interview process. You know, every time you mention an article, I have to go find it and put it in the show notes. Yeah, well, you should. <laughs> I actually already read that one. Yeah. We can we can probably get it from him. I, I saw it. No, a few... we'll, we'll find it. It's it's on the judge book. I already yeah, read it. Once. I think he I think he posted it on his Facebook wall too. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And he doesn't post a lot, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. It's also linked from my blog, so if you want to go there, that's that's, oh, that's probably how I saw it. Okay, so does um does Wits of the Coast have any any opinions on this process? Do they they uh. What's the word I'm looking for? What oversight or guidance or, yeah. or did, involvement? Did they stick their fingers in it at any point? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, they. So, so one thing, one thing your listeners might not know about a uh, about being a high level judge is it is is Andy's our boss, right? We we um, we answer directly to Andy, uh, and so if we're doing anything that that Watsi doesn't like, we'll hear about it right quick. <laughs> um, 
Andy, Andy is a member of all of my committees. Um, he has been an active participant in the process. He and I had a lot of uh, conversations um, to define the philosophy of this whole process. And for the most part, we were on the same page. Uh, and 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 yes. Yeah, so so did they stick their fingers, you know, <laughs> in all over the place? Well, no, not really. But um, the the sort of overarching goals that I talked about with acquisition and having to move things to Grand Prix and maintaining quality all at the same time, those marching orders came from Watsi. Right. Because because, uh, you know, Andy pulled me aside and say, here's the new reality. Make it work. <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, they, they um, are, are they are they actively involved in every step of the process? Nope. Um, are they you know, are they giving vision and guidance and and occasional steering corrections? Yep. And so, and when you say Andy, you mean uh, Andy Hecht? I don't, I don't know his title though. You... Andy Hecht, Judge Manager. Judge Manager. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah, so he's a Wizards of Coast employee. Correct. He is, and he is, he is the uh, Lord and Master of us all. Hi, Andy. Yes. Oh, he doesn't listen. Uh, yeah, well, he might. He he might. I've asked him, and he he he's promised to listen a few times. <laughs> if I if I say something really like crazy, I, I'm sure it will eventually get to him. Sure. Well, can you say something crazy to guarantee that he does listen? I I would rather not uh, bring <laughs> the wrath of Watsi down upon me. Ah, oh, coward. um all right so so that kind of gets us gets us through the process so let's 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 talk a little bit maybe about the the level the level two judges that that want to become level three uh what are some common uh traps misconceptions uh errors that that judges who want to be l3 might make well the first we already talked about and that's the checklist is is what matters the checklist is not even close to what matters. The, check, the checklist is like the, the pre-screen that we use to filter out the people who are just grossly unqualified, right? Um, uh, so the first misconception is thinking the checklist is, is what matters, and it's not. Um, it gets you in the door. It's the 12 qualities of regional judges that actually matter. Um, another misconception is that, you know, being an Uber rules geek means you'll get promoted, right? This is, this is based on the unfortunately widespread misconception among players that, uh, someone's level reflects how well they know the rules of magic, right? That, that is, that is a, a very common misconception, which is why, which is why, you know, really every, Every an appeal isn't about getting a, a second opinion. It's about getting the highest level judge in the room to answer your question. Right. So so believing that a uh, uh, being a Uber rules geek will get you to L three is also a misconception. Um, let's see another another misconception is that uh, being a you know monster event judge or or um you know road warrior or you know going to a ton of grand prix is enough it it might be if you're doing some other stuff but just going to a lot of grand prix is not actually what we care about um we need you to be competent uh you know we need you to be skilled at being a, a a floor judge or or a team lead but we also need you to mentor judges we need you to be active in your uh local community and your and your region as a whole um you know we we need you to do more than just 
going to Grand Prix and being awesome at them. So uh, the the idea that, um, well, I go to a lot of Grand Prix, I should be level three. Well, maybe you should, um, but we need to we need to test this other stuff as well. Those are a few I can think of. Yeah, I mean, along that point, maybe you should just be L2. Maybe you're just a really good L2. Uh, maybe you are, yeah. And, and, is, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, L L two is is in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, uh, the sweet spot. Um, you can uh, you can you know go to grand prix. You can you can work PTQs. Uh, all of, all of that stuff. Uh, the levels are really roles, and it's it's you know if you if you want to fill the if you're happy and content filling the role of a of a level two, then there's a lot of room in that level that you can you can carve your niche out. Yeah. Um, so if, if, um, if someone believes that they are L3 material, um, what is, what is the, the first step they should take? Uh, do they, do they, you know, do they start with, do they start with a checklist? Do they find themselves a mentor? Uh, how, what, what, what do you advise people as to be the, the first step to take? I would suggest if you're, if you're thinking about going down that road, write yourself a self-review and have an L3 plus that you, that you know and trust, look at it and tell you whether you're deluding yourself. <laughs> Um, no, seriously, this is, so first of all, writing a self-review is one of the requirements, but even if you, you know, even if you're early in the process, write yourself a self-review anyway, and just accept the fact that maybe you'll have to write yourself another one later when you actually apply for L3. Fine, whatever. Um, don't, don't stress too much about timelines and deadlines and, and, and anything like that. Just all judges should self-review once in a while. So what I would suggest, if you think you're L3, write yourself a self-review, show it to a, a L3 uh, plus judge that you trust, and say, is this accurate? Is this, does my version of me uh, jive well with your version of me? <laughs> because if the answer is no, that's a big red flag. That's, that's, that is a very, very good indicator of whether you're actually L3 material or not. Because if you are, then your self-review will be accurate and your L3, you know, that you trust or is looking at this, will say, yep, this this looks good. This is this agrees with my experiences and observations of you. Uh, people like that who have that level of, of self-awareness are, are the most likely people to actually get to level 3. Uh, people who know their strengths and weaknesses and know how to emphasize their strengths and work on their weaknesses. That's, you know, that's one of the big things we want to see in an L3. Whereas the people who, who are, you know, who write self-reviews that really look more like advertisements for themselves uh, are, are the more likely ones to be uh, deluding themselves and therefore not the kinds of people we necessarily want to see at level three. So don't try and sell yourself like you do for a resume. Uh, right? Correct. In fact, I've had a couple of interviews where where I've taken the self-review, uh, shown it to the candidate and said, okay, this is BS. Give me the real one. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. So yeah, um, uh, I, I would say one of the one of the first pieces of advice I would suggest is when you when you know when you've been a, a good L two for a while and you think you're you think you're really ready to go down that road, 
write that self review and 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 check it against somebody whose opinion you trust. Okay, cool, cool. Um, now there there has been uh, uh, some some talk recently about whether or not uh, you need a mentor or not to get you to level three. Is is that is that something that's you know, uh, increases your chances, definitely required, it's a good idea, but not necessary. You know, where, where does that fall on the, on the scale or does it depend on the individual? Um, it depends on the individual. I, I don't think, um, I, I have seen enough good candidates come along that it doesn't, I don't think it's a requirement. Uh, I don't think you have to find yourself a mentor. You're going to fail. But mentoring never hurts. I mean, you know, like I said, good judges beget more good judges, and 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 getting good in a vacuum is really hard. So 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 yeah, if you have access to a mentor, for sure get it. But it, is it something that uh you know that is gonna I don't know that, that is gonna uh make you good when you were already good? Well, no. I mean, you know, there there are some people for whom it might not be strictly required. Um, and there are some people who uh, may have gotten mentorship by osmosis over the years rather than having somebody explicitly say, I am now mentoring you for level three. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, Jeff, if you could have any keyword ability in magic, what would you have? Epic. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Once you cast Jeff Morrow, you can cast nothing but Jeff Morrow <laughs> no more. the entire game. But you get one turn. <laughs> At the beginning of your upkeep, you get a Jeff Morrow. So oh. I know that's pretty sweet. No hesitation either. Um, I know we have one more topic we want to dis- discuss, but did you guys have any other questions about the L three process before we move on? Uh, I do not. No, I don't think I do. I mean, I, Jeff has been extremely thorough discussing this process in a good way. And I, yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't really. Know. No, that's good. I love no, no, no. no it's a, like I said, it's in a good way. I love a show like this because uh, we get someone else to do all the work, and then we just slap our names on it and call it a show. Right. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Um, you know, I, I, the only question I have, and I, I'm not sure, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, has the L3 process, the, the checklist process, because before it was kind of when you guys thought somebody was ready, or by, by you guys, I mean fours and fives, right. uh, they would kind of just magically take the test and get there. Now, I know there was a lot more going on, but nobody really knew what was going on, right? Yeah, no, that, um, and, and in some cases, that actually wasn't a whole lot more than that. <laughs> Um, but so the question is, has the checklist process kept anybody from getting there that would otherwise have gotten there at this point? Um, I think quite possibly, yes. Um, I think there might be, you know, there might be some remote candidates who who um, may have come up and been tested uh, under the old system who maybe don't have enough competitive REL events around, you know, for example. Um, I think so. So to, to answer your question, yes, I think that probably has happened on occasion in some remote areas, and I think that may be a contributing factor to why you know we're still having some trouble bootstrapping uh, good judge communities and, and particularly level threes uh, in some in some parts of the world. Is there a plan to make any kind of exception to the checklist process for those areas of the world? 
probably not. Um, uh, that's a that's an area still under discussion. This is a loaded question. Okay. Very <laughs> um, uh, yes. Okay. Probably not enough. in the U.S. though. No, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't expect anywhere in the United States. At least not anywhere in the the continental United States, except maybe some areas of the north, the the west northwest that are almost unpopulated. That's really unfair. I have to drive like thirty five minutes to get to a competitive event. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Like they way up there, they have to like you know get the dog sleds and stuff like that. <laughs> And, and I, I, you know, the, the Iditarod on the way the to weekend, the finish line. Yeah, the weekend after the uh, after GP Oakland, I'm going to be uh, in a, a judge conference in Montana, of all places. And they have, like, nothing up there. Um, Is this the one in Bozeman so, that Rick is running? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm originally from Montana, so I figured I'd go up there, go to the judge conference for the weekend, and then and then spend some time at home. Um, cool. And it's 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 gonna be great. Uh, but I looked at the the staff, uh, not the staff, but I'm sorry, the, uh, the the people that are attending, and I was surprised. So I don't think I've ever been to a judge conference this small. Uh, and, yeah, well, the ones we and, have around here are pretty insane. What's that? I said the ones we have around here are pretty insane. Well, that's true. That's true. We do. Um, but uh, so I was I was just bringing it up. I find, I find it. I was wondering if it's exactly as you described in kind of those remote areas perhaps causing that problem where people can't get there because they can't finish the checklist uh, and you answered that question pretty thoroughly uh yeah and i think um let's put it this way to date we have not uh done checklist exceptions like that yet um and and i would prefer not to i would prefer to keep it that way but uh, you know the process is always uh, a work in progress so, Jeff, before this episode, you told us the sad, sad news that you are uh, stepping down as head of the testing process, this uh, level three testing process, and as part of that, stepping down from level four. Did you want to talk about that some? Obviously, this doesn't uh, negate anything you've said prior. All the information is still completely relevant. Throw, throw it all out, though. Yeah. We've just wasted an hour of your time. The whole process is changing. It's now going to be done by picking colored jelly beans out of a jar. I can do it. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's what the process will turn into. Um, it's true. Uh, at the end of this year, I'm, I'm stepping down to level three. Um, as I said earlier, the, the, you know, big thing with level four and level five is that, uh, in addition to, you know, being good event judges, we're also expected to be in charge of some, uh, big area of, of the program. And, uh, that's a lot of work. And so I've, I've decided that at the end of this year, I'm going to be level three. I'm going to keep judging. I'm going to, you're going to keep seeing me at Grand Prix. It's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, I am, I'm going to be passing the reins on to somebody else that, uh, that somebody else is not yet determined. Uh, and, uh, and so stay tuned. Mysterious. Now, did you have to fill out the checklist process before they'd let you go down to level three? <laughs> right. I have to, I don't think I've done enough competitive, uh, REL events recently. Oh, that'd be the JMO panel. That would be awesome. (laughs) Why why do you think we should let you step down from level four? (laughs) (laughs) Any any trick you try to run during the panel, JMO would just be like, I wrote that trick. Stop it. Uh, You got me. (laughs) So yeah, I haven't, I, I, I haven't, it, uh, I haven't made a big deal of, 
of this step down because ultimately, you know, what what people are going to see of me is going to be somewhat the same. I'm still going to be doing events. I'm just uh, scaling back the desk work somewhat. I understand. I mean, even this podcast, yeah. we only do it two every two weeks and still it's a decent amount of work. And it's just just yeah. this two hours. So I can completely understand. Yeah. And, and that just it means you'll be on the floor of Grand Prix more. And being on the floor is so much more fun than sitting up in that on that stage just answering appeals all day i've i've enjoyed i've enjoyed the times i've i've head judged but um recently there have been a couple of events where where i've just you know taken the black as it were and uh and and it's been really fun for me uh so so and, and actually this weekend at oakland will be one of them i'll be wearing red on saturday but black on sunday and uh yeah planning to uh planning to just be one of the guys it's weird that judge retirement is basically just continue to judge. <laughs> <laughs> well, it isn't for everybody, but it will be for me. But like even Sheldon kind of really still keeps up with it. I mean, you know, he's not doing the day to day stuff, but he's still kind of really involved here and there. We uh, we see we do see him at a lot of Grand Prix still. We so, sure yeah. do. OK, well, do uh, do you guys have any more questions for Jeff? I, I think we we pretty much exhausted uh, uh, the I'm sure we could probably come up with more, but oh, sure, you know. <laughs> I'm sure, but you know, time constraints and all that. Uh, we'd start having a limited resources type pod, you know, I mean, we didn't, podcast. We didn't even ask him about uh, colossal whale. I know. Okay, Jamo, Jamo, colossal. Your thoughts on colossal whale? Looking at just the art of the card, how big do you think its power and toughness should be? Um, let me keep, first keep in mind right it's up. yeah, its uh, eyeball I'm, is the size of a pirate ship. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm going to gather. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> is, okay. is, is it like bad to admit this that I I don't know a card? No. No. If it's eyeball, no. It just explain. It just explains the real reason you're stepping down to L three. See. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's the desire to run Italian legends and Japanese fourth edition <laughs> uh, sealed events. Right. So you know you're gonna be a, so Jamo. You know you're gonna be in charge of all the uh, the Japanese Ravnica events we're having this weekend, right? I I just suddenly <laughs> <Great>. decided that. <laughs> all right. Uh, then then I will brush up on my Japanese then again. <laughs> So yeah, if if, uh, if colossal whale's eyeball is the size of a pirate ship, its power and toughness should be I don't know, thirty forty. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's five five. All right, it's five five. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's there's the the link in the in the Skype window. Okay. Yeah, we can't spend all night talking. Yeah. Colossal yeah. whale again. Third show Sorry. in a row. No, it's not you. I brought it up. It's... <laughs> All right, we get we get mad because the cat on enlarge the cat on the art for enlarge is at least three bigger than colossal whale, and colossal whale is so much larger than that stupid cat. Yeah, uh, we get mad okay. about a lot of things. Uh, clear, clearly, you, you clearly you have some time on your hands on these podcasts. Uh, you, the other people, uh, you should you should pick people to interview that you know talk a lot like me. So you know. Yeah, <laughs> so you, that's, that's really all this podcast is. Stuff. We have time on our hands. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's no, a good no thing. One no one listens to this. <laughs> right. All right. So, Jeff, do you have anything else you want to plug? I know you uh, mentioned your this game studio you worked for earlier. Um, no, that's all. That's all good. I'm, you know, the other thing I want to plug is, you know, get to level three. If you're if you're interested, um, uh, start uh, start working towards it. Get uh, get better. Be an awesome judge, and and you too could be a level three judge. Ooh, 
exciting. And what super what superpowers do you get when you get level three? Like, do you get invisibility, X-ray vision? Well, which power um, did you get? Um, I got a really embarrassing one. Uh, uh, my my farts don't smell anymore. <laughs> did we really just go there? Uh, we, we did. It's too late. We did. There. Um, we did. We did. Yeah, I, I'm now face palming. You can't hear it over the <laughs> microphone. I'm now face palming on my desk. Well, the unfortunate thing is, I actually didn't think you were going to turn the question around on me, so I just had to dig deep. And uh, turning around was something that the correct play there, though. Yes. Like, yes, it, it was. was, it was correct play. All right. Well, Jeff, I I, pan- I panicked, and that's what I came up. Let with. Let me let Jeff go <laughs> so we can okay. do the email. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed it. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Let's do some emails. Woot woot emails. We got uh, quite a few emails this time, and Brian argued with some listeners so let's i did argue right with some listeners. luckily we don't have a pol- we have a policy where we don't really read the follow-up emails most of the time otherwise we'd be here all night it's a policy that uh, cj just made up yeah it it is especially because this was there was a lot of back and forth yeah a lot yes all right so our first question comes from ross guy he says he has he has a few questions about a judging situation he was playing at an scg open recently and uh And I understand they need to get everything done as quickly as possible to make sure the top eight has plenty of time and whatnot. I was playing a rather grindy match and we went to time. A judge came over to enforce the five turn rule and we confirmed I was drawing for turn one. The board state was complex. I had some goblins on my side with a near full hand, including removal, and my opponent had ether sworn cannonist that does each player can only cast what? One, one whatever. One spell. Yeah, whatever. Or, or after you cast an artifact, or right. you only cast one non artifact spell or something. Yeah. A soldier token and an Elspeth on seven counters. I had a lot to work out mentally due to the fact I now had three turns to win and I had to decide if I could do so through Elspeth or if I could only win by killing her or if I could win at all. After less than 30 seconds, in which I was clearly going through the turns in my head as I was making vague hand gestures and nodding my head, as that's how I think under pressure, the judge stated to me that he needed me to play faster. Besides this interrupting my thinking, I felt pressured by the judge to play immediately, not wanting any sorts of rules violation, and I don't think he was trying to pressure me, but he did come off as rather rushed and forceful. Now, a few minutes later, when the game was over and I had time to stop and look back, I didn't feel this was right or called for based on the situation. As the tournament went on, I noticed he he and other judges doing the same thing, though I wasn't watching close enough to how long they gave the players to think. Was there anything I could have done? Is it common for judges to rush players during the five turns? If I had still taken my time with it within reason, could I have received a rules violation or warning? What is generally considered a reasonable time? Before a judge asks you to play faster in this type of situation. Holy carp. Wow, I'm out of breath. I didn't yeah, I don't think we needed to read that entire thing. I, that was huge. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Ross, for uh, for the huge email. And we appreciate the, the, your descriptive follow-ups, too. He writes, he writes a lot. He's a writer. That's fine. That's not a bad thing. No, not at all. But I don't think no. we need to read it all in the air. I mean, I, I appreciate his thoroughness when, when I'm reading the situation, but I don't think we need to read it all in the air. Well, I already did. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you decided to break your newfound policy, I wanted to say that yeah. first. <laughs> So, so for this for this particular for this particular thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by there is an article uh, that both uh, Matteo Caligari, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, and George Fitzgerald wrote on slow play. Uh, that's posted under judge articles and CJ will have the show, uh, have the link in the show notes. Absolutely. And, so this, and this will go into a lot more detail than, than the stuff we're going to cover. So for those who are interested, read that. Um, 
But as as far as in turns, so so let me ask this question. Uh, so slow play is a thing, and slow play is a player takes longer than a reasonable required time to complete game actions. Um, uh, Ross was specifying, hey, we were in turns, and I felt rushed. So the the, the question that I want to pose to distill it down is, does being in turns impact slow play or not? Or, no. or the giving the infraction slow play. No, it does not. Well, I mean, I got a question. Okay. I mean, I'm not trying to insult our the, the Ross who wrote it. I'm really not. Uh, but That's a great start, though. No, I, I, <laughs> I just the question I have here is he says less than 30 seconds. Right. But right before that, he he talks about all the stuff he was thinking about and how deeply he was thinking about the game state. And the point I'm trying to make here is that when you're thinking that deeply about a game state, and I play a lot of competitive magic myself, and I, I can tell you this for certain, absolute certainty. When you're thinking that deeply about a game state, you have no concept of time passing. You have That is a practiced skill to be yes. conscious of that amount of time passing. Yeah, I've actually seen uh, George Fitzgerald. He gave a seminar on this once, and something he had was he had everyone like close their eyes and just wait and just count how much time had just passed and you know you get you get like i think about 25 seconds passed and you got answers from 15 seconds to like 45 seconds like just yeah. wild answers people just and don't that's, know and that's if you're just sitting there not really thinking about anything yeah you're being you know? told to count the time right like specifically so so here so basically uh uh slow play yes slow play is given more in turns and the reason why it's given more in turns is because judges are assigned to matches so that we can get the slip up faster you know their judges are right or wrong more slow play is given out during turns because judges are watching more closely i mean we're we're sent out to go go get the slip from this table so we're there uh but it can happen at, at any time um the other thing is uh ross was expressing he's just like hey i now have to figure out if i can win in three turns well it's not like suddenly now i have to figure out if i can win in three turns it should have been before time was called hey can i win before time is up you know how can i win this game as quickly as possible the the board state didn't suddenly become complex it's it's been con- i mean it's been slowly evolving um so you you <laughs> should have very been... slowly with any of the sworn canonists on the board <laughs> right True. so so it it does it didn't suddenly oh now i'm in turns now the game has changed okay it hasn't so the 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 pace of play uh still needs to be uh at a reasonable pace you know yes we do allow more times like and i gave this an example in the email if a warp world resolves yes you know you're going to get more time to figure things out because the board state just changed dramatically you know but as far as do you have 20 seconds 30 seconds 40 seconds to make a decision there is no specific time because as soon as we say you have 30 seconds to make a decision oh well that means i can take 28 seconds to make every decision and legally stall yeah right as soon as we give you a time and say you must you, you use less than this time then using anything less than that time is a okay fine hunky dory and you can just max that out and be fine um now interrupting uh, a player you know who's who's deep in thought i need you to make a play um how do you guys feel about that <sighs> Well, if you don't interrupt them, then you're just you're just giving them all that time anyway, which was the problem in the first place, right? Right. You get what I'm saying? So. Well, I 
I used to be of the opinion that you should, you know, if somebody's attacking, you should wait until they actually declare the attackers and then you should say something. Or if somebody's thinking about something, you should wait till they cast a spell, then you should say something. I don't feel that way anymore. Um, having watched a lot of games of Magic, I, I really feel like you shouldn't go out of your way to interrupt a player ever. But if somebody's taking forever to, to play, stating that they need them to play faster is fine. Um, it's... I don't see a particular problem with it. I'm yeah. not going to tell you you're wrong if you wait until a break in their in a, an obvious break in their thought pattern, but I, I don't see a problem with, yeah. in, especially in this kind of description of I need you to play faster when a, some amount of time has gone by that the judge feels is excessive. Yeah. Now I I typically don't give them the actual slow play warning in the middle of them thinking about something. Okay, I need you to play faster. You know, I you know fire a warning shot across their nose as you know as a space ball reference then if they if they make a play right away okay probably not going to give them slow play but if they kind of sit there and him and Han and think about it more and more then when they do make a play all right now that the play's made now here's your warning your your warning for slow play um so and then continue on because yeah you do it it can uh uh kind of put them put them on edge a little bit but at the same time don't play slow because <laughs> um, especially in turns it's actually during the the timed portion of the round if you're playing slowly you're basically stealing time from your opponent um if you're playing slowly during turns you're stealing time from the entire everyone at the venue right because yeah. we need to get that slip we need to turn the round there's hundreds of people waiting on you okay so yeah, I think it's enough on slow play. You guys agree? I think yes. so. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think the big th- the big thing I want to point out that we haven't really said yet is that the judges aren't out to get you with slow play. Um, however, it is most likely, as Brian said, that the slow play warnings will be given out during turns for the two reasons that the judges are watching the tables that are in turns and tables that are in turns are more likely to have been playing slowly. Uh, so if somebody says, I need you to make a play, they are not uh, insulting you, accusing you of stalling or accusing you of anything unreasonable. They're just asking you to play faster. You might have you might have gotten lost in thought and, you know, that's hey, come out of it. Let's let's play the game. Uh, yeah. And like I, like I said, bo- complicated board states typically don't arise uh, suddenly. You know, they've been evolving over several turns. So, OK, our next mail comes from Zachary Wisner. He says, hi, Judge Cast. I am a new level one and wanted to say thank you. I couldn't have done it without a lot of the good information that you guys provide. Very entertaining and informative. Keep it up. Okay, thanks, Zach. I just have a hopefully quick question about a situation that came up at a game day this past weekend. The situation is player A and player B have just finished game one of a best of three match. After the conclusion of the game has been acknowledged by both players and they begin to scoop up their cards, player A asks player B if they can see their graveyard. My question is, at at that point, uh, would the graveyard still be free slash derived information? So, free information. My thinking was that it was not, and subsequently you would not be obligated to show your opponent your graveyard at that point. Just thought it was an interesting situation, and would love to get the answer, as I was unable to locate anything specific. Uh, And I agree with what he said there. I mean, once the game's over, there's no real concept of free or derived information. I guess your library um, size. Right. And and first of all, uh, Zach, congratulations on passing your L1 exam. Yes. Uh, being a new L1, that's awesome. 
Uh, but I would agree with what you and CJ said uh, and, and add that if the opponent thought there was something fishy going on and they wanted to see the graveyard because they thought their opponent might be cheating, um, they should call a judge and have the judge check it out. Uh, but they don't they don't have a right, per se, to see that graveyard anymore. Yeah, the, the only thing that gets kind of weird about it is if you're dealing with morph creatures, which we won't get into that, but there there is this whole thing about revealing uh, 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 information. I mean, we could get into that. It'll take all of five seconds. If the yeah, game okay. ends or a, a morph creature is goes to any other zone than the battlefield, it has to be revealed. Yep. And if you don't, the penalty is a game lost because it's a GRB uh, uh, that's upgraded. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's really all there is to that. Okay. Our okay. next comes from Jake. Uh, he says he listened to episode 72 and the really long email about the cleanup step. That was the seven-parter from last episode. There are multiple parts to the cleanup step, and at the end of each part, it looks for triggers, but not SBAs, he's asking. Like discard first, his example, McGrim triggers, so before we remove damage from the creatures to go on stack... He says, based on that line of thinking, if nothing would trigger SBAs only, we'll finally check after all of the parts of the cleanup go through without triggers. So I'll let you guys talk, but I think maybe we confuse things a little bit, but I just want to mention that SBAs being checked and triggered, I don't know, you guys. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I figured, I, I think I got where, where the, the point of confusion was, is there is a there is a subtle difference between when triggers trigger and when triggers go on the stack, okay? Yeah. So during the cleanup step, the first thing that happens is you discard, okay? So Megram, which triggers when you discard cards, will trigger, but it can't go on the stack yet. Even though that event just happened, it's going to wait and go on the stack at the first opportunity. So Megram, Megram trigger, trigger. you discard cards, Megram triggers. Then you do the next turn-based action during the cleanup step, which is all damage gets removed from creatures, all until end of turn effects end. Then stay-based actions or checks, triggers that are waiting to go on the stack, go on the stack at that point. So there's actually something in between uh, when Megram triggered and when Megram went on the stack. And I think when I when I said that, or, or when we replied with that, he was like, oh, that clears things up. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty important. I, I have, with a lot of judge candidates, that's something I always try to stress, is the difference between when something triggers and when it goes on the stack. They're not the same time, and I think people have a hard time grasping that. Yeah, it's a it's a weird concept. It's one of those concepts you don't really focus on mm-hmm. unless, you're, uh, unless you're really into the intricacy right. of the rules. Right, because normally <laughs> when you're playing... Hey, this triggered it goes on the stack. Yeah, and, 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 and the two and the two are are almost joined at the hip, you know. So yes, just just remember there there is a little bit of time, and probably the easiest one to remember is everybody knows nobody gets priority during up uh, during untap, right? But Mesmeric Orb says whenever you untap a, a permanent, mill a card. Okay, well you don't you you're untapping during your untap. Uh, Mesmeric Orb's triggering all over the place. But it doesn't go on the stack until the beginning of your upkeep because no one gets priority during untap. Right. All right. Okay. Next, we got an email from Will. It's a little more open-ended. He says, but I do love his his brown nosing, I guess. That's the term he used. Hey, JudgeCast, I have to say you guys really put on easily my favorite podcast ever. Not since the radio drama, the War of the Worlds, or the Nixon-Kennedy debate have such important people put such an important show out there for the people to hear. One that makes men, women, children, and bear cubs weep with joy as each new episode is released. These might be getting out of hand. eh, We'll see how far I can go. (laughs) I think we're reaching that point. I think we are. Especially the one guy later that wrote the pseudocode. Yeah, he did. Um, (laughs) Okay, pre-roll brown nosing out of the way. I have a question. 
just what is expected of a judge and what to expect while there. He says, I guess that's two questions, but they're related. My main worry is I'll be called over during a match for a question. And I won't have any idea how to answer. Uh, and he goes on to talk about how, you know, the L2 in his area is pretty far away. So he's not really able to talk to him too much. And he tries to do his best to keep up with common situations, but you can never actually keep up with everything. And then he also says good things about us again. Oh, also, he wants to meet us if we're going to GP Detroit. Is anyone going to GP Detroit? No, uh, that's the, the no. same weekend. That's the same weekend as Star City Atlanta. Oh, well, I'll be at that. I will I, as well. I I almost, I really wanted to go to Detroit, but I couldn't make my scheduling work. Oh, so it's it's, it's probably the only thing that makes people say I want to go to Detroit. <laughs> isn't that isn't that where was Robocop. that where Robocop? Yes. Yep. Robocop. Delta City <laughs> is what they want. They want to tear it down and build back up Delta City. Right. The only two reasons. The only two reasons to go to Detroit: the Grand Prix and Robocop. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so basically he's asking, I'm going, I'm judging my first PTQ, what do I need to know, right? And that's, that's basically, uh, uh, boils down to, um, in a lot of ways, a PTQ is, uh, uh, the largest event that a lot of judges are gonna, are gonna work at. Did I, did I misread it? I thought it was a GPT. I also thought it was GPT, but is the actual title says that a PTQ or larger event. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so first off, first off, don't, don't worry so much. The majority of questions that you're going to be asked are like you'll get you'll spin yourself up thinking that you're going to be asked all these hard questions and you're going to walk over there and someone's going to be like the hardest thing you might get is like dueling uh, 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 hunt master triggers. Right. OK. And you've been listening to this podcast. So you know how to handle that. Um, rely on your team lead. Uh, if you're uncertain about something, you know, ask your team lead, ask questions, um, take care of yourself, take breaks. Uh, read the IPG. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a PTQ. So you, you're going to have other judges to lean on. Like if you don't know the answer to something, just ask another judge. Right. Yeah, if you're if you're writing the PTQ by yourself, somebody's doing it wrong, and that yeah. that person is the tournament organizer. So that's that you won't be doing it by yourself. Yeah, and and definitely definitely show up. Ask ask the head judge. Ask your team lead because you should know who your team leads are beforehand. You should definitely know who the head judge is beforehand, and and ask them specifically if they have any instructions because they probably know the area better. They know the type of things that they they want to concern concern themselves with. Um, if you've done a few GPTs, then you basically know the type of stuff that they're gonna do. You might not be familiar with the team structure. Uh, but that's why we, we ask judges to show up like an hour, hour and a half before the event actually starts so we can go over that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so take advantage of that time, you know, sit down with your team lead, ask him, what, what do you expect from me? Uh, don't spin yourself up and psych yourself up worrying about what kind of questions you're going to get asked because nine times out of 10, you're going to be asked the really, really simple stuff. Yeah. Surprisingly simple. Yeah. If this... 2-2 two, two death touch is blocked by a 1-1 one, one with regenerate. Do I have to regenerate twice? Yeah. You're going to get asked or that. Sometimes things, or, or things like, hey, so when I regenerate this guy, does it go to the graveyard and come back out? Yeah. That's a, that's a surprisingly common question. Very common. You know, so... And the, the other thing that goes with that is that you want to make sure you read the IPG. Yes. yes. Please read the IPG if you're going to be at a PTQ. The, the big ones are mistrigger, game rule violation... Uh, if you're going to be on the deck checks team, then deck deck list problem. Those are those are those are the biggies that you need to that you need to be familiar with. 
and ask questions like if you don't understand them. Yeah. You no. Know, you know, hey, I was wondering. Ask your teammate. Hey, I was wondering. Um, this one sentence about delayed zone change triggers uh, doesn't make any sense to me. Can you please explain that? And what? your teammate should be able to be like, oh, Aetherling and Obsidad, and <laughs> guys just saying trap. About it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. When when someone's on my team, I mean, I love it when they're asking a bunch of questions. I, I would rather that than they're just out there and they're just like, oh, I guess I'll just make this ruling and whatever. Because the head judge will find out. Whatever. Whatever. So he had a follow-up email, too. And he says that uh, the TO of his local store asked him to run a GPT. And he's never run a GPT. Oh, that's... Okay. Man, I thought all of this stuff was at regular REO. I'm uh, not paying attention. So he says he's never run anything like that. And uh, he wanted some tips from us about how to run a GPT. So really, don't, don't we have a podcast? Like a whole episode where all we did was talk about this stuff? Your first competitive event? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I'll just put that in the show notes and then we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to talk about this. Go back and listen in the archives. Yeah. Right. Cool. That's what we'll do. I thought, you know, because when I thought it was regular Ariel, I was like, okay, well, we'll give him some advice. But now that I realize it's competitive, he can go listen to the other show. Perfect. Okay, next from Stuart King. Hey, guys, insert obligatory love your cast comment. I have a question about an interaction I don't think should work, but I can't put my finger on exactly why. <laughs> I've had some of those. Right. You're just like, no, that can't work. But uh, suppose I cast Epic Experiment and hit a spell like Increasing Vengeance that allows you copy an instant or sorcery. As part of the resolution of Epic Experiment, I get to cast my Increasing Vengeance. Can I copy the Epic Experiment that is currently resolving? So Epic Experiment says, exile the top X cards of your library for each incident sorcery card with converted mana cost X or less among them. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost, then put all cards exiled this way that weren't cast into your graveyard. Yep. Yep. So the answer is exactly along the lines of he's thinking. It doesn't work, and here's why. I mean, it kind of works. You can target Epic Experiment with Increasing Vengeance because when you cast a spell is while Epic Experiment is resolving, you cast it, uh, Epic Experiment is still on the stack, so it's a legal target, and you put Increasing Vengeance on the stack. Then we have to finish resolving Epic Experiment, so we keep casting all the other spells you have to cast. When Epic Experiment finishes resolving, throw it in the graveyard because it's done. Finally, when we start resolving the stack and hit Increasing Vengeance, it's going to look for its target, which was Epic Experiment, and Epic Experiment is not there anymore. So increasing vengeance will be countered due to no targets. And your combo doesn't work? No. But hey, you can flash a pack. Yep. Small miracles, right? Yeah? Yes. All right. Up oh, next. No, not reading this one. What? Justin Rick sent us an email and he says... Um, he's, he's a Florida guy, so we have to read it. Well, okay. Well, I have a... We're probably going to read his next show. He wants to know um, what to do at your first GP, but I don't know if that means judging, playing, what. Oh, did he actually ask? I thought he was just... Oh, what words of wisdom might you... Yeah. Might, okay, he was asking. So next yeah. show. Next show, we'll do that one. All right. All right. So next up, our arch nemesis, Colin Moriarty. Moriarty. Yes. Moriarty. All right. He's, uh, the title of this email is Casting a Spell, Abusing the Process. So you know we're going to have fun. He says, hey, all. So I finished the steps... Can we just, like, summarize this one? No. All right, hold on. Okay, hold on. I, I can, yes. So I finished the steps of casting a spell in your podcast and came into work with a burning question that it seemed like you moved on without answering. What if I cannot pay the costs after I get them all calculated? So if you need a refresher on steps of casting a spell, go back and listen to our episode on the steps of casting a spell. Can I answer this? Hold on. Let me give. Let me read his example at least. We don't. We don't need an example. He asked a question. I can answer it. Say okay. I have Alter's Reef in my hand. 
I'm skipping four paragraphs. Say I have Alter's Reef in my hand and a Dark Confidant and Wheel of Sun and Moon targeting myself in play. I'm not even reading these cards. That's how fast I'm going with this one. I have no lands or other mana sources. I'm worried Bob is going to kill me next turn, so I try to cast Alter's Reef. I get to paying costs and I pay the sacrifice cost first, which Sun and Moon turns into shuffling Bob into my library. Doesn't it put it on the bottom? Yeah, it just puts it on the bottom. Yeah. Anyway, then I have to pay the mana cost. I can't, so I back up. But uh huh. I cannot back up from shuffling something away. That's not correct. I've gotten rid of my own Bob without having to pay for the spell I used to do it. The, the rule the rule specifically is when when having to back up illegal actions, okay, uh, one of the rules is players cannot reverse actions that move cards to the library or moved cards from the library to any other zone, to any zone other than the stack or caused a library to be shuffled. So he's basically saying, huzzah, my Bob went to the bottom of my library, but we're rewinding casting of the spell. Uh, rule says I can't rewind, you know, you can't rewind through that. that okay, Bob so, or I can't rewind that action. Everything else can be rewound, but not that. And just, so holy crap on this one. That's what I have to say. This is, <laughs> okay. this is absolutely ridiculous. Now, I, oh, I feel like I need to say no. Colin Moriarty is one of our more prolific writers, yeah, and yeah, I appreciate no, I his input before you start talking. No, I get okay. the impression that he's asking this question not because it's something he wants to do, but because he wants to know the answer, and I respect that. Okay, so I, I appreciate that he's writing in with these with these scenarios, but this one is so far out. <laughs> I I I and I don't want you to stop writing because I love these scenarios. But here's here's where this breaks down because I understand where you're coming from. You're saying all oh, the rules say that that we when we get to an illegal action we back up and when we and we can't back up past this thing. All right. However, the rules also say that some of the comprehensive rules may be superseded by the tournament rules, and the tournament rules give us the authority to back up through that action. Secondly, what you are describing is intentionally taking a course of action which causes you to do something illegal. And if you do this and you know it's illegal, that's not a game rules violation that we back up. That's an sporting conduct cheating infraction, and you will be writing this very long explanation on a DQ report. <laughs> so I... Like, I understand what you're trying to say, but you have to understand here that the tournament rules don't allow this. And the game rules aren't set up in a way that allows you to intentionally take illegal actions either. There's no game rule. You can't go, I'm going to draw an extra card because there's no game rule that says I can't. Okay. Um, that rule is specifically set up so because it's very easy to go through the steps of casting a spell and realize you can't do it partway through because of some cost. And it just gives you a, a thing to do to fix that. This is not something we can abuse. Yeah, sometimes I wish that, or I think that rule might do more harm than good. It's hard to tell because I... It's, it's it's there to kind of help help you figure out what needs to from from a player standpoint what needs to happen like if you're playing at the kitchen table or something like that like what needs to happen mm -hmm. uh if you start to cast a spell and you and you go oops i can't do it but if you're like ha 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 i'm going to begin casting this spell knowing that i can't um and you're doing it to gain an advantage which is really kind of the only reason you would do it uh i guess except for the lulls um, then you're intentionally taking an illegal action. You're doing it for an advantage that meets the two criteria for cheating. And 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 just summed it up. You're gonna you're gonna be explaining that uh, on your your uh, DQ. Uh, 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 I'm blanking on the word. Uh, report that gets submitted to Wizards of the statement. Coast. Statement. 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 There you go. Thank you. So um, yeah. 
uh, he he is he is correct in some of the arguments where he said, well, there's no rule that says I have to look ahead to figure out whether or not uh, what I'm going to do is legal or not. And the answer is, well, there doesn't really need to be. <laughs> you know, there, there, there really isn't like I'm not familiar with any game that says, hey, you shouldn't do illegal actions, you know, unless the game is specifically saying one of these fun kind of games where you're saying, you know, it's OK to cheat. <laughs> I mean, there are games like that, uh, but most games kind of assume that you're not going to try to do something illegal. And so they don't specifically have a rule to handle that. All right. We got a uh, couple more emails to dive right in. Let's start with this one from Morgan Truckstad from Calgary, Alberta. I don't understand how Canada works. Shouldn't Canada be in there somewhere? Is the no. name of the area Calgary, Alberta? I mean, I'm from Santa Clara, California. I'm not going to go Santa, Cal- Santa Clara, California, United States every time I say where I'm from. Well, this is America, though. What so, does that have to do with it? So we get to do that. I'm going to say that, too, I'm gonna say that to somebody from Canada, too. Like, But we're... Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> So Morgan writes, hey folks, my name is Morgan from Calgary, Alberta. I am aspiring to be a level one judge. Thanks to you guys. I am actually Robbie's roommate to which you had shouted out a few weeks ago in the podcast. Thanks for doing that, by the way. He was super happy about it. I believe that's the playmat you guys signed. I believe that's what that Possibly. is. Possibly. You're Possibly. So, you're so famous now. You can't remember these I, things. Well, no, I'm, I'm hedging so, my so many playmats. So now. many so, playmats. Well, no, he doesn't actually exactly say playmats. You know and... how many playmats I've signed? Zero. Well, that's because you don't leave your little domain. Me and Jess were both at DC Portland, and I signed zero playmats. Anyway, this show's going along. Let's continue. So to summarize his question, he says, Robbie plays opposite at the Ghost Council as his commander, then exiles it at the end of his turn. On his following turn, Obzidat's delayed trigger hits the stack, and in response, I cast Time Stop, which ends the turn. Is Obzidat then exiled forever, or does his delayed triggered ability simply look for the next upkeep to hit the stack again? At this point, does Robbie have the option of moving Obzidat back to his command zone? Guys, what happens here? This question involves a zone I'm unfamiliar with. Okay. <laughs> fair. That's a fair okay. way to get out of it. <laughs> well, okay. So Obzidat is exiled. Um, and when you exile Obzidat, it sets up a delayed trigger. Um, and that delayed trigger is at the beginning of, was it your next, at the beginning of the next upkeep, the beginning of the next instep? What is getting the text on Obzidat? Obzidat. Um, okay. Uh, at the beginning of your, uh, at the beginning of your instep, you may exile Obzidat. If you do return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. So it sets up a delayed trigger that it's going to come back at the beginning of your, your next upkeep. So at the beginning of your next upkeep, it triggers and it goes on the stack. If you then cast time stop, which time stop basically ends the turn, everything on the stack just kind of gets exiled, goes away, gone, and you proceed directly to clean up. Okay, so this trigger is removed from the stack. So Obzidat is essentially stuck in exile. He's not going to trigger again on your next upkeep because his trigger event, which was, you know, your next upkeep, that happened. The trigger happened. It got put on the stack and then it got destroyified and it ain't ever coming back. Can he move it to the command zone? No. No. No, because command zone is only if it's going to exile or the graveyard. Well, it's. It's already in exile, and yeah. it's just kind of—it's just going to stay there. It's not moving again. Yeah. Uh, he also has a little PS. He says, "I also have a playmat. I want all of you to sign. I took a blank playmat and drew Judge's familiar, my favorite card, all over it, all wearing different hats: party hat, pope hat, pirate hat." I got my favorite judges from all over to sign their favorite owl, and it won't be complete without you guys. He also signs off as a level zero judge, level ten creative mastermind. I want I want my judges familiar 
here wearing a traffic cone, like <laughs> the Plants vs. Zombies uh, dude wearing the, the orange traffic cone. So save save him for me. <laughs> I appreciate Brian's response here, which was, uh, with regard to the play, Matt, that sounds like a cool idea. However, hope you go to USGPs because, well, Canada. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Morgan. Yeah, Canada. It's kind of expensive. And it's cold, too. <clears throat> Crazy there's, cold. I, I hear there's wolves. No way. Wolves. Wolves. Honest wolves. It's like real wolves. I don't even. Like in a zoo or? No, like just running around <laughs> roaming the streets and stuff. Weird. Like if if you're in the grocery store and you leave your kid unattended in the shopping cart, wolves. Got it. <laughs> Okay, that's all our emails for this episode. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can send us questions, comments, concerns. Tell us what you like about Jeff Morrow. Don't tell us what you dislike. There's nothing to dislike about Jeff Morrow. He's a good guy. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and like us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Do you guys have anything to say to wrap this one up? Uh, no, no, no. No, I got nothing to add. Okay, all right. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman. I keep it slugfestastic. That's a hard one to get out. Cool. While the master's away, the familiar's at play. Zot's turning into an early night, but Pookie's not done with the party. With a stash of gold and a big chip on his wee shoulder, this strange little rabbit thing is looking to prove he's more than just Zot's whipping bunny. I don't know what to say about that. You say it's awesome. Sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. Look at this thing. I would pay $60 or more for that game. Well, good thing it's only $14.95. Oh, that's a steal. It is a steal. Uh, let me, let me... Let me see if I can take care of this problem real quick. Okay. No problem. <laughs> take care of this problem seems ominous. It does. <laughs> There's screaming, and I'm going to make it shut up. <laughs> there will be no screaming at the end. <sighs> okay, I'm really sorry about that, guys. It's really no big deal. Children it's... are moving um, further down in the courtyard. This is this is what I this is what I live with. It's quite all right. It's really not. Are they your children, or did you just yell at someone else's children? No, they're the neighbor kids. (laughs) So you just yelled at someone else. So you you are older than B Pro. Wow, I know. You just yelled, (laughs) "Get off!" You just yelled, "Get off my lawn!" Get off my lawn! Get off my lawn! Yes, I didn't. I I, the parents were out there also, and I I very very politely. (laughs) You told parents to get off your lawn. Oh, that's the best. You told told adults. You told adults to get off your lawn.